Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the Virtual CISO Moment. Thad Wellen joins us today. He is Chief Executive Officer of TRW Security Solutions. Thad, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Greg. I appreciate you spending the time. I know that we uh, we had first planned this uh, several months ago, and for reasons that we'll get into in just a few minutes, we had to move this out a bit. Um, but if you wouldn't mind starting with your cybersecurity journey, how you got into cybersecurity and, and why you got into cybersecurity and where it has led you to today. Yeah, so absolutely. So um, joined the Air Force August 2nd, 1990. Um, uh, the thing that's, or I should say August 1st, 1990, and the thing that was very unique about my journey in the Air Force was August 2nd was the day that Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. So I my have to second stop day. You. I have to stop you right there because that second yeah. day I was in the Air Force as well too. And I was on a on a trip. I was in the reserves and I was on the beach at Fort Walton Beach in uh, in okay. Florida. And because uh, uh, we, were, we were at Eglin. I don't know if you've ever been to Eglin Air Force Base. Um, and yeah, somebody came out and said, oh yeah, no, Hussein just invaded Kuwait and no, this is a big deal. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be nothing. <laughs> I was wrong. And then we got, we yeah, got shipped over wrong. there. We were there, we were there for seven months. So, um, so thank you for your service and awesome timing, by the way. Um, did you, did you serve in Desert Storm? Uh, no, I did not. So I actually had my bags packed sitting mm -hmm. in the terminal at Travis Air Force Base um, in Vacaville, California, several times. And then they said, oh, we're pulling your orders. We, we don't need your, your slot right now. So I sat there. Um, but then, of course, you know, I did deploy. Uh, I, there's there's not enough fingers and toes how many times I deployed um, <laughs> in support of, of uh, you know, Operation Enduring Freedom, Operation mm -hmm. Enduring Freedom Philippines, um, and, and, you know, basically the war on terror. And, and what did you do in the Air Force? So when I first joined the Air Force, I was a, a radio operator. Um, huh. That was my first job. Uh, I went in. I went in uh, what's called open admin. So there's only a handful of jobs. Um, why? Because I'm colorblind and I'm eliminated from just about every single job in the Air Force. Um, oh. So <laughs> that was my path. Uh, I can't do anything on the flight line because you can't see the, the red and green lights. So they said, no, nope, you can't work on the flight line. Mm. So we're going to make you a radio operator. Um, my career was actually very unique as a radio operator because I didn't do the traditional radio operator th jobs. And I ended up in an AFSOC unit in Okinawa in 2000. Mm -hmm. And I kind of transitioned into network, network security and, and doing communications um, as far as the, the network side of it as, as a communications planner. And that kind of, um, that was the start of my, my cyber career. And then I ended up transitioning into what was called cyber surety for the Air Force career field um, that was focused on on cybersecurity. So that was my job. And then my last job in the Air Force, I actually worked for the joint staff doing vulnerability assessments as part of the joint staff integrated vulnerability assessment. Team five traveled the globe and did vulnerability assessments of military hmm. installations for the last three years of my career when I retired uh, finally in 2014. And then I been on this uh, the you know the cyber roller coaster ever since so what did you end up doing when you when you got out from the, the air force what was your first, uh, my uh... so ironically I, I retired out of an army army base fort belvoir right outside uh -huh. of dc um in springfield virginia um i worked at ditra which is the defense threat reduction agency that's where we were housed 
um, even though we didn't actually work for Detroit, we worked for the joint staff. And then I went to the other half of the building, which was the Defense Logistics Agency, and I started my the second half of, of my career um, uh, as uh, as an IA manager for the Defense Logistics Agency. So managing basically the the cyber posture of of some unclassified and classified networks for the Defense Logistics Agency, and from there I just kind of followed that that journey and path um, in the DC area until I finally had enough of uh, of living in that area and then and, and the, the traffic and the, and the cost of living. And I decided um, I, I would let my wife decide our path, where we would end up. Uh, we came down here to the Tampa area seven years ago to visit her best friend who she's been best friends with since, since the, um, you know, they were 10 years old. Um, her best friend moved all around the world kind of like we did, but, but uh, in a civilian path, ended up in the Tampa area. We came down to visit. My wife at the end of the visit said, I want to live here. So four months later, we were uh, heading to Tampa and we've been here ever since. That's awesome. And at some point in time, you decided when you were in Tampa to start your own business. Yeah. So here's here's kind of my, my journey and path. I, I, I got a, a job actually doing a, a contract for the Air Force. We took we took uh, Humvees that the TACP community, which is the tactical air air control party uh, for the Air Force. So it's it's usually Air Force guys assigned to big army units that actually call in airstrikes. So um, the, the the company I was working for was was redesigning basically the communication system uh, mm-hmm. for, for the TACP community. Um, and I was the I engineer on that on that project. So built security into the into the integration effort. And then also did the accreditation to get the system accredited to use on, on an Air Force network. So that was my first job. I went from there, finished up that project, and then I worked, uh, worked for another defense contractor where I was basically managing their, their classified networks. I did that for about three years, and I decided, you know, towards the end of that, I wanted to, to kind of do my own thing. So I was actually on the path to start my own company four years ago, um, uh, actually almost five years ago now. But um, uh, uh, another small consulting firm picked me up and said, hey, look, we want to bring you on. We want you to lead our, our CMMC line of business for us. So I did that for about a year and a half uh, for, for a small uh, consulting company. Um, I, I realized it was not a, 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 the best fit for me, um, just basically on my lifestyle, because me and my wife had a life-altering event um, just over two years ago when we were both in a very, very serious uh, motorcycle accident. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I decided that, that I wanted to, to go away from the, the hectic, um, stressful life of, of leading a line of business for a small consulting company. And I actually went to work for Dell for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, towards the end of my, my, my career with Dell, I decided, you know, the best thing for me is to go back to my roots, which was, you know, helping um, small and, and medium-sized uh, defense contractors um, with with CMMC. So I actually was doing CMMC for for Dell. I did that for a year and a half, and then last October I decided, you know, I'm going to walk away from from a job uh, where I get paid every week, and I'm going to just do my own thing. Um, since then, uh, I've been a full-time uh, consultant working for my own my own company. Um, I'm the CEO of my company, so I have my own basic clients. But I'm also a fractional CIO for 
Kiri uh, Solutions, authorized C3PL, and I'm a fractional CISO for another consulting company, uh, Shijoki Consulting. Um, so uh, uh, the bottom line is um, I, I've, I've, I've realized that I can stay very, very busy doing my own thing. And then I get to directly impact my clients um, because, you know, when you come in as a consultant, I, I, I show them an, a new way of, of, of thinking, uh, a new way of approaching things. And then, then I can, you know, absolutely impact um, organizations, you know, at a, at a level that I couldn't do working as a as an employee for, for a large company like Dell. Well, I, I know one of the most significant risks to small and mid-sized businesses that are working as federal defense contractors are, is trying to meet CMMC. And when we come right back after a quick break, I want to start walking down that path about your CMMC um, journey. VCSO Services is a small, specialized, veteran-owned information security firm with a calling, founded on Christian values and focused on the needs of small and mid-sized businesses. Our passion is to help small and mid-sized businesses gain a fighting chance in an increasingly hostile cybersecurity threat environment by providing executive part-time virtual CISO services, information security risk management services, and CISO advisory services. Check them out at vcsoservices.com. So I, I mentioned at the top of the podcast that we had scheduled this in February, but had to move it back a little bit longer. And there is a CMMC related reason for that. I'm going to let you tell that story. Yeah. Uh, so um, we we actually uh, started discussing uh, basically the, the the path that I went down to, to become an, uh, basically uh, at the end of the journey, I'll be a, a certified auditor. Um, so right now I've, uh, I've passed my, so I've taken the training and passed my my exam to be a certified CMMC professional, which basically means I can assist on audits. Of course, you know, as, as we know, CMMC audits are currently not happening. We're still working for the rulemaking process, although there is a program um, that leads towards the certification called the Joint Surveillance Program. Mm -hmm. And I'm currently working with uh, unauthorized C3PO um, to, to help organizations uh, achieve that, uh, that status. And then uh, through the rulemaking process, they should achieve a CMMC cert uh, certification. But so just to start, I, I went back and I, I took training with Dell um, for the CCP course. And then I, I took a little bit of time off um, to, to make sure I was ready for the exam. So I, I finally did test and I, I, I passed the, the CCP exam back at the end of February. And now I have the CCA course scheduled uh, for September, and I immediately plan on uh, taking the exam immediately afterwards. Um, so I will start my journey as a, a certified auditor in the CMMC uh, ecosystem. And and that was the primary reason why we delayed doing this, because part of the reason for for talking with you here is to get some firsthand feedback about what it was like preparing for and then passing the um, CMMC professional exam, uh, what, what, what was your experience? What are some little snippets of advice you might be able to give folks that are considering going down the same path? 
Yeah. So I would, here's, here's my, my two bits of advice. So, so my, my problem is, is I, I go into an exam going, I have to study to the nth degree, <laughs> make sure that I pass. So I did it for my CSSP. Um, when I got that back in 2010, I, 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 I basically overstudied. And when I went into the exam, you know, I was nervous, but I walked out and, and I passed the first time. Um, same thing with CCP. I, I, I overstudied. So my, my advice is as soon as you finish the, the material, take a week or two to go through um, the roadmap that they provide you uh, that kind of tells you what you should be focused your studying on. And to be honest with you, that roadmap helped me tremendously because there are things that I didn't review prior to the roadmap um, mm -hmm. to, to basically uh, make sure that I was ready for the exam. But to be honest with you, if I could have studied another two months, I don't think I would have scored any higher um, because there are just certain things on the, on the exam that I was not ready for. Um, and I, I say that because uh, the, just the, the way that they have some of the, the questions um, laid out, I just, but that's the, that's the 5%. Um, mm -hmm. I will say if you, if you, if you understand the material, you go through the roadmap, um, I would say you're not going to have any problems passing uh, the CCP exam because it, it is, it's not memory based. It's basically application based. So you, as long as you can apply the material um, in a scenario and then understand what the results of that scenario should be, um, I don't think individuals will have any any issues uh, uh, passing the exam. I'll let you know how it goes for the CCA exam uh, after I, I, I pass that in uh, probably uh, the first or second week of October because I take the the um, uh, I go through the course the end of September. So like I said, I plan on taking the exam almost immediately afterwards. So that sounds very similar as you were talking about your experience with the the prepping and then the actual exam itself. It sounded very similar to when I took the uh, CISSP back about 15, 16 years ago, where, yeah, there were just some questions in there that were so far out of left field. And, and, and the idea of like, choose the best answer. Well, I don't know, four of the five sound pretty good to me. <laughs> you know, exactly. Like, yeah. But, uh, uh, same, same deal. Um, the, Felt like that maybe I overprepared for it, did pass it first time around. The only difference being, of course, is that back then you didn't find out if you passed for several weeks as opposed to finding out provisionally right afterwards. Yeah. Now, um, you mentioned that the CCP is more application and less memorization. I, I have not gone down that path yet. I'm considering it, but I am an RP. And I found that the RP was exactly the opposite. It was just all about memorizing yeah. facts is that a yeah. fair statement a very very first statement so i'll, I'll be honest with you when i took the, the when i went through the rp process because i did it literally probably a month after uh rp training was available and and i found that i had to go back through the material because it was literally um gotcha questions mm -hmm. so it was the way it was worded and if you didn't know exactly what the the, the structure was um, then you weren't going to be able to, to, to go on to the next module because um, that's the way the RP training was was at least um, originally laid out at the very beginning. You would you would go through the material, do a module exam, and then go on to the next module. Yeah, no, I think that that's the same, at least when I took it. It's probably been close to a year now, but um, uh, I, almost the exact same experience. It's like I went in 
after reviewing the material, it's like, okay, I kind of get this. I understand wh where it's going, but they, the, the, the minutia, the details of the questions was like, you're, you know, if I had a photographic memory, I would be fine. So I had to stop mm -hmm. and go back through it again. And, and so I'm, I, the reason why I bring that up is that I'm glad to hear that, um, the CCP is more application-based because probably you, definitely me, and probably most security folks out there, we do better when we apply knowledge as opposed to yeah. just trying to regurgitate, you know, Cliff Clavin facts or something. So, yeah, exactly. um, well, okay. Now, um, as a CMMC professional, uh, I guess that would be CCP, uh, certified CMMC. That's like, I hate it when they put acronyms within acronyms. It's like, you almost got to put brackets around it. You know, it's like, it's embedded. What do they call that? A nested, <laughs> nested acronyms. Um, uh, well, we're used to it, you know, being in the military because they do that all the time, right? Oh, it, military is all full of acronyms. It, <laughs> you know, it, it's, uh, uh, I, I think it's just like security. It's like, you, you have to invent acronyms when you have, and I know in the air force, um, that was an introduction to, uh, a, same acronym with a different meaning. So everybody knows ATM is uh, automated teller machine. Now, some people in networking remember ATM as being uh, asynchronous transfer mode, which was a form of wide area networking several couple of decades ago. And in the Air Force, where I was a C-130 uh, crew chief, that's air, air turbine mo motor. So you almost mm. have like acronym overload there. Anyway, I digress like I usually do. Uh, where I was getting with all this is how valuable is a CCP to a federal contractor in achieving and maintaining and then being able to pass um, the, uh, the audit when it comes around? So if you look at the cyber AB and the way they've, they've kind of structured things, they said, oh, if you're going to be on the consulting side, you should be an RP or an RPA which is basically a, a, a next level up from, from RP training. Mm -hmm. And then they say, if you're going to be an auditor, you should be you know, a CCP or CCA. I got I to gotta say that I, I slightly disagree with the thought process because if you're only focused on the training that was provided in RP and RPA, and you don't understand what it'll take from an auditor's perspective to be able to pass an assessment, Mm -hmm. So I would say it's very valuable for organizations to at least attend the CCP training because it's it's literally 40 hours of, of material versus, you know, eight or 12 hours for the RP, RPA piece. So it's 40 hours of material. And then you actually get the perspective of what it takes to pass an audit versus consulting on making sure an organization is kind of ready. So I think there's there's extreme value for, for organizations to go through like I said, at least the CCP training, uh, mm -hmm. even if they don't decide to, to take the exam and get the get the certification. I think that's a very good point, because it, it, how can you effectively help an organization um, uh, prepare for an audit? I mean, you can in various modes, but certainly by by having firsthand knowledge of the auditor's perspective, that goes a long way. I mean, same thing with like SOC 2 or or, or ISO. It, it, you don't necessarily have to become an auditor in those areas, but but the additional training about trying to understand what the auditor is looking for always helps out. Exactly. So from the, um, from the business standpoint, the contractor standpoint, uh, you've obviously been helping small and mid-sized businesses doing this for, for some time now. Um, what's, 
what's like one of the biggest challenges that you see like common among among folks that are starting out on the journey something that they're missing what's what's one one, one of the one of the biggest challenges there so i i think for 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 every organization that i've that i've either helped or assessed or helped get ready um it, there's there's one commonality between all of them and and um i i gotta say it's 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 a it's a challenge in itself just because the way that the that the control is is required to be implemented and that that goes to you know uh sel2 3 13 11 which is the fips validated control if you look at what the dibcac released on what they've been doing for um uh you know nist 800 171 assessments they actually put out a list of of the top 10 most failed controls and number one for them is the same one the fips validated piece so it's the same thing that I'm finding. And I, I say it's a challenge because of basically the way the program is designed and then the, then what it takes to implement. So for small organizations, it's usually not that hard. You, um, you know, so let's just say you have an environment and you're in Microsoft 365, you make sure the endpoint um, is, you know, in FIPS mode. Um, you make sure that, that you know, uh, the, 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 that you have the access to the valid certs. And everything else but when you start getting to those medium and larger size organizations where they actually have to implement this on their firewall mm. and and now they have to turn on their firewall the first off they have to make sure it's fifth validated cert the cert is actually still valid because the cert is only good for five years mm -hmm. um and then technically technically the, the cert is not valid as soon as you patch it because the certification was for a certain um you know, uh, rollout. Now the right. DOD has, has, has said, okay, we're going to accept the fact that things are going to get patched. Obviously you can't go through the process every other week, every time you, that you, that you, um, you know, uh, patch or, or make roll, uh, put updates to the system. As long as you don't change the way the crypto modules, uh, operate, then we'll accept the fact that even though it's patched, it's technically out of FIPS validation mode, or I should say not validation mode, but uh, it's it's not it's not the 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 version of the iOS or firmware that you have on that firewall will accept the fact that it's out of date because it's more important to patch, make sure your systems are up to date. But here's the problem: well, uh -huh. when you when you have a when you have a large network and you you turn on that that firewall and you put it in FIPS mode, it means everything that communicates through that firewall has to be um fips compliant and the algorithms have to match what the fips requirement is the problem is is there's a lot of these large organizations they have legacy systems and everything else that don't have the ability to to communicate through that firewall once it's in fips mode mm -hmm. so the challenges for, for medium and, and large size organizations is they simply can't get this to work unless they basically just you know start from scratch again and, and rebuild their entire uh, ecosystem inside their network. Um, so that's that's the challenge that organizations have with that FIPS validated mode. So that would obviously be could be quite expensive, but getting back down to the small smaller businesses, it sounds like that that becomes for them more of an effective uh, vendor management yeah. issue as opposed to an infrastructure issue. They have to validate that their that their 
SaaS providers are are meeting the requirements, the FIPS requirements, as a, because a lot of times uh, smaller businesses sometimes they're all remote anyway, as it is. Yeah. So so here's a gotcha gotcha moment right now. We're in a gotcha moment because everybody's moving to to Windows 11, right? Mm-hmm. Windows 11 currently doesn't have a FIPS validation. Oh joy! I did not know that. Ah, so okay. So um, we actually reached out to to the the DoD and say, hey, look, Windows 11 doesn't have the FIPS validation. It's using the exact same modules that were in Windows 10. Could we use that FIPS validation for Windows 11? DoD came back and said, nope. So right now, everyone that's on Windows 11 technically doesn't meet the requirement for FIPS validation because Windows 11 hasn't achieved. FIPS. So here's the other issue with FIPS right now. They're moving away from their sunsetting FIPS 140-2 and moving to 140-3. Well, this was supposed to be started literally four years ago. They're having problems with the validation process on the NIST side for the labs that are authorized to do the FIPS validation. So currently, there's really not any FIPS validation going through the, the lab process right now. I don't have a timeline when that's going to be fixed, but we might run into a problem where people, their FIPS validation, you know, their cert literally expires because it's only good for five years. Right. And they can't revalidate because the process is, 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 is not, not optimal right now. <laughs> that is so. absolutely fascinating. I, 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 it's one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast is that I'll find out things that I'm like, that's that could be a huge gotcha right there a huge gotcha yeah yeah especially for everybody that's already migrated to windows 11 and can't go back (laughs) exactly (laughs) well i know from experience um that it can be incredibly stressful being in cyber and also being an entrepreneur on top of that which you are what's one of the things that you do to help yourself decompress because we got to get away from it. Right. I mean, we can't be stressed out 24 by seven by three sixty five. Um, what's one of the things you do to get away from the stress? So my, my biggest thing, um, cause, cause I, I'm, my brain is constantly working. Um, I, I have adult ADD. So I literally function with 14 things going on in my brain at all times. Um, on top of that, I'm a cybersecurity professional, so I have, uh, you know, another 14,000 things going on in my brain. Mm-hmm. I'm an entrepreneur. Um, things, you know, as an entrepreneur, you, you, you never, never can really turn things off. You're, you're always having to, to you know, um, meet with clients, you know, manage expectations and everything else. So I, I literally, it's really, really hard for me to turn off. So the one thing that I can do is I'm an avid motorcycle rider. Uh, yeah. Me and my wife are both avid motorcycle riders, even though, um, like I mentioned early on, we had a life-altering event in a motorcycle accident. We're both back on motorcycles. And that's the only time that I really don't think about anything else. I put on my, I put on my music. I get on my motorcycle. I hit these back roads in Florida, go up to North Carolina, Tennessee, wherever I go. And then we spend time in Oregon. I go on the roads there. When I'm on my motorcycle, I only think about the things around me and the music I'm listening to, and I totally tune out everything else. It's my only time that I can decompress. But when I'm on my motorcycle, that's all I think about. I don't think about anything else. I don't think about work. I don't think about deadlines that I have to meet, anything else. I'm, I'm in the moment. 
360 around me, looking around, make sure uh, I'll, I'll throw out the air quotes, cagers are, are <laughs> not paying attention and trying to kill me all the time. Um, so I, I, I 100% focus on, on the, on the road, uh, on, 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 you know, hitting some, some, some curvy roads. Uh, of course, you know, hills and, and mountains don't exist here in Florida. So I, I have to get outside of Florida to be able to do that. So, so a couple of things there. First of all, I, 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 I've never heard the word cagers before. I love it. And every time I pass a motorcycle or they pass me, I'm like, he thinks I'm a cager. I get it. That's great. Um, <laughs> now I, I would imagine you mentioned Tennessee, North Carolina. I can't remember the name of this, but I know that there's a, a route through the mountains. there, very windy. I think it's route 129. Um, is that one that you've yep. written? And yep. what's, what's yep. the name it's of it? It's called tell the dragon. Yes, 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 yes. I could not yeah, remember that. Yeah. So uh, I've uh, I've done that done that road uh, several times. Be honest with you, there's there's other roads. There's there's Highway 28. There's um, you know the Blue Ridge. Yeah. Uh, up in that area, and I honestly prefer those because 129 is just pure insanity. There's a thousand motorcycles on that on that stretch of 13 it's, miles. Three. It's probably one of those twenty nine yeah. curves. Probably one of those things that you do at once, say you've done it, and then you get more relaxing when you go out to something not quite as, I mean, if you're trying to get away from, from the stress, you don't want to in, in, input more stress on. So, well, uh, future plans um, outside of the, um, and I can't remember the next, uh, the CCP, the, what's is the next exam that you're that you're preparing for again? CCA, Certif uh, CCA. Certified okay. CMMC Auditor. And then, then you can actually do the audits at that point in time. Mm -hmm. uh, what other future plans do, that you might want to talk about? Um, honestly, um, just, just making sure that I take care of my clients the best that I can and make sure I give them the best advice, um, for, for whatever, uh, whatever they, they hire me to do. Um, uh, that's, that's my ultimate goal. The thing that I also love about consulting is that I get to pick who I work with. So I honestly vet my clients as much as they vet me. Oh, um, yes. If it's not a good fit for me. Then, then I let them know that this is not a good fit. It's not not something that that uh, I think that I can uh, fully um, uh, prepare them for whatever tasks they're trying to ask me to do. So I, I kind of uh, let them know that you know I can refer you to other other folks that I that I trust in in the community, or I can suggest that you know that, that you're going to have to find somebody else. But that's what, that's what um, the most important thing for me is to make sure that that. Um, you know, I do exactly what the what the client is looking for, and I exceed their expectations. The, yeah. the, the thing that's also worked for me is I don't advertise. Mm -hmm. uh, I do not advertise. I, 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 you know, post on LinkedIn. I'm active in a couple of communities, but all my work is through word of mouth. And and I just got to say, I, I think it's a testament for the, the way that that I've been able to take care of my clients because they refer me to, to other folks that are looking for help. That's so awesome. It's worked for me and, so far, and I think that's what I want to do. And and I think that those who are considering stepping down the consulting path, because I've talked about this before. I've got a video out on the YouTube that's about an hour and 40 minutes long, an extended presentation that I did on becoming a cybersecurity consultant. I think that's one of the things I touch on is, is that it's so important to to be able to walk away and say, no, this isn't the right fit, not only for them, but for you. Because, um, but then again, when you first start out consulting, it's like, you almost feel like that you're, you have to grab every opportunity that comes and that's not the right way to do it. Eventually, no. if you're really, if you're proficient at what you do and 
you have the the client's best interest in mind, you'll be fine. You'll make it. Mm-hmm. It'll work. So, yep. well, Thad, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. I could talk longer. I, we've actually gone longer than I thought we would. And and I've got so many questions. I might actually have to invite you back after you pass the uh, CCA and talk a little bit more about that, um, that process. And also when we're at with CMMC there, but I really appreciate your time today. Oh, oh, well, thank you so much, Greg, for having me on. This is, uh, this, this has been a, a great use of my, my time. Uh, I, I love being able to, to help out the community. Um, if anybody has any questions on, on starting their, their journey down the consulting path, you know, feel free to, 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 to release my, my contact information. I would love to have conversations to help out other folks that are thinking about doing the same thing. Absolutely. And everybody, stay secure. <laughs>